Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to another Psychovertical podcast. I'm your host, Andy Kirkpatrick. As you can probably tell, I'm, I seem to finally uh, got rid of the cold I've had for about four weeks. Um, picked, I picked up in, in Poland for some reason. I've just had it like constantly. I've been traveling around Europe, giving it to everybody. So I seem to be <clears throat> getting better. My voice is not as husky though, so unfortunately it doesn't sound as, don't sound as cool. I might start smoking to make up for that. So um, I'm back home in my unidentified uh, country I live in. Um, the other day, I think I was, I think in my in my podcast last week, I was saying how I basically um, don't watch the news, <laughs> don't watch newspapers, don't read newspapers, don't watch the news. I blocked most news websites on my computer via terminal and um, I get like most of my information through sort of podcasts and things and uh um and i and I, I tweeted something that at the moment seen as it looks like world war three might start uh it's um you know it feels like a good time to have done it because my my stress levels are incredibly incredibly low considering and someone on twitter said um uh oh don't worry there's no chance of being hit by a missile uh like missiles can only barely um, hit Tel Aviv, um, uh, and they think they obviously assumed I was living in England, where I'm actually living about. I don't want to tell you where I'm living, but I'm actually living about you know, fifty miles from from Basra. So, um, uh, so yeah, so that was kind. Of, it was kind of funny, really. Um, uh, but yeah, so it's quite interesting when you live somewhere where you know the, the rest of the world like. Lots of people I know, like in the UK, they're all like totally freaking out, thinking they're, you know, I've got f- friends who've just had a baby and they're like, oh, the world's going to end and oh, what kind of world? It's like, oh, God, get over yourself. Uh, but what's, what's, <laughs> what's kind of cool is my wife is probably the most, um, uh, I, I won't say the word ignorant, um, but um, there's a word for it, but I, I can't think of what the word it would be. The nearest to it is probably ignorant, but in, in like a blissful a blissful, uh, a blissful way. Um, like she's, uh, she didn't. She, I shouldn't tell you this because it, she'll get pissed off because she doesn't like people knowing this. But she didn't actually know the the twin towers fell down. Um, anyway, so very, various things like that often come in conversations. So she's this this pet. She's probably one of the happiest, most positive, most able, most intelligent. Um, like she's, she's like an ans. She's like a. A relative of um, Ada Lovelace, you know, who invented the computer. Apparently, that's what they said on Doctor Who. But anyway, you know, super. She's like a super smart person, but she has this like filter where she just filters out anything that is not really relevant to to her. So, um, you know, she like grew up playing football and playing out with boys, and you know, like she's from Ireland. She has this like a different, very different kind of uh, old fashioned kind of lifestyle. Anyway, so uh, but anyway, so so recently she was at work. She like works out here as well, and um, <clears throat> so someone got all this team together and they said like, um, okay, I just want to get you all together because um, you know uh, you know there's been a lot of people talking about um, you know what's going on in the Middle East and about Iran and things and you know like what 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 we might do if if Iran you know starts attacking or something. And Vanessa was like, what's what's going on? Like I don't. What are you talking about? So she had no idea what, why everyone was freaking out. So, but anyway, so 
so there's that part of you, there's that part of you that thinks that's a terrible thing, like oh god, to be so ignorant. And um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's there's a lot to be a lot to be said for it. Like you know, she's not the happiest person I've ever met, for no reason. So, but um, but anyway, so I'll try not to ramble on too much. But uh, so this but this podcast, I was gonna I was gonna talk about something boring. Um, but I seem to be bombarded by uh, people directing me towards Bear Grylls climbing with Alex Honnold. So I thought I'd, I thought I might take the opportunity to actually tell the story of me and Bear Grylls. Uh, we have a, we have an interesting uh, parallel path where where well his his path is going up and mine is going basically down, but it's parallel. Um, and uh, I thought I'd tell the story about me and Bear Grylls because it's kind of an interesting. It's like an interesting story. Um, before we get before, before I get onto it, I'm gonna be. I was gonna be one of those stories where I gotta leave it right to the end. It's really shit. Like I basically went to see one of his talks or something, but I, I didn't. I did actually meet, meet the meet the man. So, um, like I think it's it's you know this. I've ever had this thing that you're you're the result of the of the six people you're closest to or something. Well, like what I was thinking recently how, uh, how, uh, like the, 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 all the odd people I've kind of let, met, met in my life. Like I've been very, um, very lucky really to, to have had a life which was very rich with like odd people. Um, Ed, uh, Bear Grylls isn't one of them, but, um, and, uh, so my so probably the what, a really good example because this came up this morning with somebody else was like when I first moved to London. I uh, so I've lived I've met, I lived in London twice. Complete shit. I'll never go live there again um, unless I'm really rich. And uh, anyway, it's not a good. London's not a good place to live if you if you don't have any money. So I lived in I lived in Peckham, uh, which was a total shit and it probably isn't. And it's probably really fancy now. Um, I think when I lived there, like Brixton was just slowly becoming bit gentrified this was like in the 90s uh i was living there when Kurt Cobain died i think anyway that's, that's the only thing i can remember being living in london was Kurt Cobain dying so you know i moved to london and uh i got this this job this was the first job i ever had which was like a proper a proper job as in i got you know like it you actually got paid enough money that it was actually worth doing it well the other jobs I've done were, were not were not worth doing really for the money you might as well just stay on the dole so I got this job in this uh, outdoor shop called Survival Aids which was in the Euston station it was like on this this bolted on the side of Euston station and one I'd read loads of uh read loads of like lofty I'd read lofty Wiseman's survival book Sorry, I'm actually recording this. For a change, I'm not recording this in my um, walking around the streets. I'm actually recording it in my house, or, uh, my flat, so maybe some people talking. So I um, I, uh, I got this interview with this for Survival Aids, which was like a outdoor, weird, weird kind of outdoor shop because it sold like survival stuff. This was before Bear Grylls. This was when Lofty Wiseman, who was like a famous survivalist, um, well, kind of famous uh, in the UK. I think you had like the Bush Tucker Man in Australia, and then you had like Lofty Wiseman. I don't know if America had one, but this was this was like you know pre Bear Grylls, pre Ramirez, pre all these people. Um, I had this book, Lofty, Lofty Wiseman's Survival Handbook, when I was a kid, and I really loved that book. It's a really good book. You can buy it now, get it secondhand. Anyway, if you've got kids, buy it for your kids. It's a really good book. And there's loads of good videos of Lofty Wiseman uh, on the on the on YouTube. And like Lofty Wiseman was in, in the SAS for like you know like twenty something years or something. And then he was a survival instructor, and then he left and set up doing this stuff. And the, I remember one of the, one of the I think he had a TV program for a while. But the one of the big things was he he took uh, someone from Blue Peter, which is like a was a kids TV rubbished kids tv show when i was a kid and uh i was more of an itv kind of person not a bbc kind of person so anyway he took one of the tv presenters and he took him to uh dartmoor or somewhere and he uh, taught him how to survive and then he left him there for like a week trying to survive and i really remember that at the end of this week 
Like he was so weak, he couldn't even really walk. And that really stuck in my mind for some reason. And and that is a that's kind of an interesting um thing about survival that when you do come to surviving in a that kind of situation where you have no food there is absolutely no like jumping off trees or doing backflips or you know swimming across rivers like you are totally fucked it's like having um you know anyway, it's, it's it's like really it's, it's worth practicing um starving yourself like you can starve yourself like if you just um like i could probably the probably the longest i've gone without any food is you know like two or three days or something um but you can actually starve yourself for like uh, you know a week two weeks uh well at least a week without any real you can still kind of operate to some degree um but you can't really do you can't really do much you know like when people are on a when people are starving themselves to death they're basically just laying in bed and they just starve themselves to death you can't really play football or anything so um uh, like recently, like this year, uh, last year, I got stuck in a tent um, for a week without any food. Uh, I think we had like one bag of pasta, a small bag of pasta for like eight days between two people. So we just had like uh, we divided it into three, th- uh, six portions and we had like one portion each for three days. And then we didn't really have anything else to eat after that. And uh, well, Vanessa was the other person. And uh, so I literally... Just laid in my sleeping bag for for like seven days and didn't move once. I didn't. Go, I didn't. I was like pissing in a cup and pouring out the door, and I was, you know, I, did, I didn't have a crap. I just like laid there. I didn't do one thing. I'd, maybe I'd lift, lift, get my arm out and switch over to find NPR on the radio or something, but I didn't do anything. While well, Vanessa was like digging holes in the snow and doing sit-ups and everything else. So, Anyway, but it's a good. It's a, um, anyway, but that but that really stuck in my mind. This uh, lofty Wiseman taking this guy, um, Peter. What's his name? Duncan. Duncan thingy. Duncan dares. Um, it's anyway. So it was it was a good, interesting thing to realise that 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 starvation, you know, just robs you of all all your energy. So so I'd read all the, read this book and I'd, I was like I used to make like tea out of. Um, uh, nettles and all that kind of stuff really wanted to be a survival person and I'd also because my dad was in the air force uh, when I saw my dad we would like go camping and things so I had that bit of camping kind of stuff and I'd also done some uh like when I was on the dole uh, when I was unemployed um you know I did like a few trips you know hitchhiked to the Lake district and uh, hitchhiked around and stuff so I had, I had a bit of a bit of background like I'd slept in you know, like beside the motorway, like in the in the in the uh, gullies and you know hedgerows and things. So, so I got this this interview for some reason, and I went for this interview. And the manager there in the shop, he was from. Uh, he'd, he'd worked in Marks and Spencers. I don't think he really knew anything about the outdoors at all. He was a real kind of geezer. You know, he was like sat me down in this room. He's like, right, right then, you're in the jungle. What do you need? And I was like, uh a hammock and he's like you've got the job so so that was that was cool and then he and then he had a trick question you know he was like what about a down sleeping bag i was like uh i think the down would get wet and he was like yeah but i think he thought i actually thought i should sell the person a down sleeping bag because they were more expensive so i got this job it was a great job um it was like a really it changed my life in a way because that was the because for the next like 10 years all I ever did was work in outdoor shops because I didn't really have any other transferable skills or you know anything any kind of qualifications but in that shop I met um the assistant manager was a guy called Joel and there was this guy called Jake and there were but the, the, everybody else in the shop basically had degrees and they was highly educated and you know in, in my mind I thought they were posh because I thought basically if you had your own teeth you were posh back then I was like totally you know a total ignoramus um just total chip on my shoulder uh, you know anyway so but it was it was really interesting to meet all these people there was a guy there from America uh like working there and it was really really great and that was the first time i met someone who'd been to climb denali and so it was like really opened my mind but um so when 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 i worked in the shop it was when the war was going on in yugoslavia so we had uh because we saw like military stuff and outdoor stuff 
and it was like near the train station, we got a lot of uh, news people coming in. So you had like some famous kind of news reporters coming in and the camera people and they were getting kitted out. Cause it was like really cold. It's like Yugoslavia is pretty cold in the winter time. So we're buying all this um, outdoor gear. And then at the same time, you had all these like mercenary people coming in who were going out there and like joining up with different people in Yugoslavia to the Serbs or whatever. And then you had like the British army coming in. Then you had like the French Front Legion guys coming in. And uh, so, it was that, so it was really, really interesting, like lots of really interesting customers in that shop. I remember there was a real change where the, because so many uh, journalists were getting killed in Yugoslavia that, the, that all of a sudden, instead of coming in, buying really bright Gore-Tex jackets and stuff so people would identify them as not being soldiers, they actually started buying like camouflage clothes so that, you know, they'd be like less, it's like harder to see them. So, um, but yeah, but like just a lot of really interesting uh, customers in that shop. Um, like I remember once there was a there was a guy. We had this thing. It was actually called a Lofty Wiseman survival knife. It was this big knife, and it was made by Wilkinson Sword. I think it was like 180 quid. It was like in a, in the cabinet, in a glass cabinet. Like oh god, you know. I don't think I ever ever really sold one. But um, uh, one day we were like standing standing there, and this South African guy comes in. and He goes like, "See that knife? I've seen someone hacked to death with one of those knives." And I'm like, uh, "Look, do you want to buy it or not?" So just a lot of just a lot of random customers. Um, there was there was at the time there was a lot of like IRA kind of bombings going on on as well, so, and that was kind of good because if there was like a bomb threat, then um, or someone found something that thought it was a bomb, the whole uh, the shop had to be evacuated. So we'd all have to like close up the shop, and we'd all have to go about two hundred mar- two hundred yards away from the train station. They'd have like a cordon, and you'd all be standing there until you uh, could all go back again and get it all clear. And sometimes it was so took so long we had to we had to like you could go and sit in the pub and have a drink and things like that so that was kind of cool although I remember one time uh we were out of the shop for ages and ages you know like like an hour or something eventually uh when we went back to the shop there was actually a customer like in the shop who'd been uh, in the changing room uh when the women all had to evacuate the shop and uh anyway they were locked in there so that was that was kind of funny um so what, one that one so anyway, so we had this this one customer who used to come in, and uh, do you know the, I don't really, I don't really I don't really like the idea of the banality of evil, um, but uh, this 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 guy like kind of uh, for for some reason I always I've always remembered this guy uh, like it. I think first of all, like I think he wanted to buy a rucksack, and I was like showing him the rucksacks, and he told me that everything he owned he had in two bags, so he could leave at like a moment's notice. And uh, I think this was this was before Leon, that film Leon the the assassin, a film came out. It was like no children, um, no children, no pets, whatever it is. Anyway, no women, no children. Anyway, but it was, uh, I can't remember thinking like, like, uh, I that's kind of cool. Like everything you own is in two bags. So you can just go, you know, you know, that's, that's kind of, you know, that's kind of how I kind of live right now, actually. But, um, yeah, I thought it was kind of cool. And then he, he came in the shop, the shop quite a lot, this guy, uh, Colin, he was called, come in the shop and, uh, you know, he would like hang around and we, we'd talk to him and, um, you know, there was kind of lots of, it was that kind of place, really, because everyone was really, really friendly, and we're all kind of laid back, and we had a good laugh. And um, we had this guy there called Jeff. Like Jeff, if you're still still around, I do apologise for this. And that Jeff was a bit weird. Like he really, he really wanted to be in the police, and he was a bit of a t- police nerd. And uh, so, if there's any shoplifters, we'd always get him to chase after them. Like, quick, quick, get go on, Jeff, because if you ever caught a shoplifter, a they could probably stab you with a needle with AIDS in it or something, or or beat you up or slice you with a knife or something. So it wasn't worth it for, you know, like minimum wage. Um, but also, if you caught, caught a shoplifter, you might have to go to court and things. So we'd always get him to run after a shoplifter. And then, um, and then when the police were in, sometimes the, the armed police, for some reason, used to always hang out in the shop as well. So there's always armed policemen in the shop. And he'd always be like, did you arrest the perp the other day? So he was very kind of uh, into the whole police thing. I think he had a job in the police station, but washing up. Uh, so he always liked to, like, to tell people he was in the, like, you know, involved in policing or something. 
Anyway, but one uh, one day we had this. Uh, we had we used to get these cardboard boxes with deliveries in, and uh, and we got them. We got the assistant manager, and we put him in one of these boxes. And Jeff was like a bodybuilder, and we're like, Jeff, Jeff, like, uh, oh, can you give us a hand with this box? So, so Jeff like comes up, and he was like, Yeah, it's mine out, guys. I'll lift it up, and he's like lifting this box, and he's like, oh, it's like really struggling. And he had to go down like a flight of stairs, like down into the basement to carry the, anyway, so he's like, he's like, do you want to, do you want to handle that, Jeff? No, nah, no, nah, I can do it. And he's like carrying this box anyway. So basically he gets down and we open the box and there, uh, and Joel like jumps out. He's like, hey, he's like, you bastards. Anyway, so we're basically, we're basically, we're bullying him the whole time. Like it's terrible to think now, but he could have actually, you know, taken us to court or something. But anyway, the, the company's gone bust now. They can't do anything for us. <laughs> anyway. And um, anyway, so one day, like we were like, like uh, Jeff, Jeff, you get in the box and we'll do, we'll play the same trick. Anyway, so so Jeff got in the box and we, like taped it all up and then um, and then we're like then we're like Jeff's in the box. Anyway, so we all picked the box up and we all carried it and we threw it down the stairs and that terrible. So the the box went crashing down the stairs and his arms and legs were hanging out and he's like you bastards. Anyway, so yeah. Anyway, it's terrible things he used to do in those days in the past, long time ago. So. Anyway, so this guy Colin um, was in all the, in all the, in all the time, you know, kind of bit boring, bit weird. But he wasn't like the weirdest person we had in that shop. So anyway, eventually the the shop went bust, probably because we spent the whole time fucking around uh, and the business. Anyway, it went bust, and they got made redundant and uh, decided to leave London. So I was li- so I was living in Sheffield, and then. Uh, one day, I just get this telephone call from Joel, who's again the assistant manager, and he was like, "You'll never guess what." And I was like, "What?" I said, "Like, remember that guy, like Colin? You know, Colin, the guy who's come in." I was like, "Yeah, yeah, the guy with the bags." Yeah, yeah. I said, "Like, like, he's like, he's a fucking serial killer." And it, and it turned out this guy Colin had murdered like five people in London, and um, I think he basically would just. Uh, get off with a, a gay guy and take him back to it, go back to the, the person's house. Then he would like tie them up and then he would like strangle them. And then he would, then he was, you know, that's what he did. He, like he killed like five people and the police basically caught him because uh, they didn't, um, they, they couldn't tie all these murders together because they just thought they were just sadomasochism that had gone wrong. So he ended, he ended up eventually ringing them up to tell them that he'd done all these murders and, uh, and they were, they were able to fit it all together. I found out it was him. And uh, and they found loads of survival aids uh, catalogues in his house. So when he so so they came and interviewed uh, Joel and he told them that he had been in the shop and stuff. So yeah, kind of a kind of weird story. He actually he actually died two th- I think two thousand and twelve or something. So thank God for that. So yeah, so but yeah, so not many people get to meet a serial killer. So I didn't ever teach him any knots or anything, but. So that, that kind of so that kind of leads on to the Bear Grill story, really. Um, uh, so through through working in outdoor shops, um, I was like really interested in like I, I've always been like a total uh, like I think like someone yesterday said I'm a very um, uh, polarizing person. I have no idea why. Like I feel like I'm an, a very nice person. Like I don't. I'm not racist or sexist. I'm not particularly. I, I always say I'm politically agnostic, um, you know. So I don't know why people, I don't know why people don't like me, but um, that maybe that's one reason for doing these podcasts. You actually, if you, when you hear me actually speaking, you realise that most of the time I'm just taking the piss out of people. But I'd I'd say one thing that is annoying about me is I'm I can I can see the future, which <laughs> doesn't it sounds a bit up my own ass anyway. But I'm very I, I think I I am because I'm very observant. That's why I'm good at writing and why I you know make a living as a writer because I have to be very it's probably I don't know where it comes from but I'm very good at observing things and I'm I'm very good at detail like it's, I've got this kind of obsession with really really tiny things that people don't see so they always said like Napoleon um they said Napoleon was I'm not saying I'm like Napoleon but they were saying Napoleon was uh his his advantage over everybody else because he could see two years into the future and it's actually quite easy to see into the future. Um, so <laughs> you just have to notice what the hell's going on. Most people don't t- pay any attention. So, so, so this, this obsession with like detail and little things um, meant that when I was working in this, 
in this shop uh, in Derbyshire outside. Uh, I was I was like I was basically um, end up finding this company One Sport, uh, which were in France, which no one had probably ever heard of before. But they were basically making uh, like boots for like Antarctica and um, they just like making boots sort of high altitude stuff but they were super obscure uh company i think they were making shoes like fishing shoes for patagonia that was uh that was their main deal i think at the time and uh anyway so i got in, i got in touch with them and uh i got a pair of these uh one sport um uh, high altitude boots and at the at the time like the the the, the boot everyone was wearing at high altitude was a uh like a scarpa high altitude vega or a Sportiva, uh, or a, um, a Koflak sort of uh, Arctic Ultra uh, with like a neoprene or like a foam kind of overboot, which was a really crap system. It like didn't keep your feet warm. And uh, loads of people used to get frostbite because wearing that kind of boot system. So anyway, the, these boots, it was actually two layers of foam and it was kind of flexible and uh, looked a lot, a lot, a lot warmer. So I ended up, I ended up, we ended up being like the sole, um, company that was selling those uh in in the uk i mean we ended up selling them all over the place because you know some no no shops stocked them anywhere i don't know anywhere in the world that was selling these boots i don't know how anyone got hold of them and the probably the claim to fame was they were the boots that uh, beck weathers was wearing uh on everest when um you know basically lost his fingers and his nose and everything else but <laughs> his feet were fine so so anyway so we're selling these boots and we started selling you know, I guess it was it was kind of at the beginning of when um, Everest and that kind of stuff was like becoming a thing where ordinary people were starting to do it. And so we started having lots of people coming to the shop from all over the place to 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 get hold of gear. We started working with Pete Hutchinson Designs who made down down suits and stuff. And uh, I ended up like working for Pete uh, doing like some design work. And so that was like really cool. And um and uh, anyway, so anyway, so one, one, I get this, I get this uh, call from uh, some posh-sounding guy uh, who wanted like two pairs of these boots, uh, and they wanted them like yesterday, usually. And anyway, so I managed to send them off uh, down to London, and they went off. And uh, anyway, it turned out they were for this guy uh, Bear Grills, and I remember like when they get. When he came back, he was supposed to be like the youngest person to have ever climbed Everest or something, or the youngest to go up and come back down again. I think in the book, I think in the American version of his book, it's called like The Kid Who Climbed Everest, which when he's 21, he's not really a kid, but anyway. So so anyway, so, uh, uh, so that was kind of interesting. So so as I, so I, I, yeah, I worked in this shop and then eventually I was climbing and I got like, was climbing enough and making enough money to uh, stop working in the shop and then I was like you know static on that that the road of doing slideshows and talking in you know talking and making writing and stuff and uh so you had this um I had this kind of parallel world really with Bear Grylls for for a while it's kind of interesting I think you know I, I we would like I never actually bumped into him but but you, you know, you you do a talk somewhere and they say, oh, we had this guy, Bear Grylls, who climbed Everest, or you do like a corporate talk. And uh, you felt like this this Bear Grylls character was um, was out and about. It's like one of these, you know, there was, it, it probably was the way like, in those days, you know, in the 90s, you didn't really have these like professional motivational speakers, you know, where you meet a young person, they're like, what do you want to be? And like, I want to be a motivational speaker. It's like, what, what are you going to do? What, you know? So basically, that's what they want to do and then just think of something they can do to talk about it rather than doing something and thinking, oh, maybe I could talk about this. So, um, so anyway, that was all. So Bear was going, doing his thing, after my thing. And then I think what the breakthrough was, was I think Bear actually paid, I think he actually paid to, um, to, to a pilot or something for discovery or one of these things like survival survival kind of stuff so he had this kind of i don't i think i probably read his book by then um he seemed like he seemed like a nice person uh you know he seemed like a nice person 
and uh, I think you had like Ben Fogel at the same time. Some of them get the two of them mixed up, you know, one's a wanker, one's a twat. And, you know, and uh, we had these like two, these two kind of posh kind of people. And I think that is a, that has always been a problem f- for, for me is basically like uh, Ben Fogel's a bit different because he wasn't in the army, but they really like this kind of like army, you know, Sandhurst, you know, someone who knows how to wear brogues, uh, you know, Anyway, that, that kind of person is like the perfect kind of out. It's like this like romantic, you know, you know. So, so I'm more of like a Fred Dibner kind of person, you know, more grafting up a chimney or whatever, like, you know. Um, so anyway, so, 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 so this, this, this TV program came out and there, there was Bear Grylls. And uh, in a way, like Bear Grylls kind of became, it'd be interesting to see those old programs now. But he, he became sort of fully formed, like he, he appeared just at the right time when the internet was kind of starting to appear and social media was like still probably five years ahead. But he was he was kind of he was kind of getting there. He was doing more and more sort of corporate kind of stuff. And he's kind of in a way, I'd say he's like the complete opposite to me. Like he was this person with like this uh, beautiful wife and, um, you know, had like young babies and he lived on a barge, you know, his dad was a Tory MP and, you know, obviously had like a, a lot of sort of privilege and wealth and connections and where I was like kind of the, to- the total opposite. So, the, so as his kind of, as our, our paths diverged and he became this, you know, his worth, I think the, the Bear Grylls brand is worth, you know, like hundreds of millions of dollars, apparently. It's like worth it. I think he's worth like 30 million or something. So, so as, as he kind of was becoming this kind of thing, uh, I was just doing what my thing. And, um, but for me, like, I think what's interesting is good to think about Bear Grylls is that he basically climbed Everest sometime in the, the 90s or something. Um, and he's been like trading on that for basically like 30 years. Uh, you know, and he had like a brief stint, like six months or something, as a territorial SES guy. Like I, I used to make a, I made a joke that the unit he was in is, is not really the SAS. It's like twenty one SAS or something. You have to like dig into this kind of stuff, and I'll come to that in a second. But uh, they call them the rubber daggers, but it's kind of unfair because there's still you know people in that in in that S, those SAS things have actually been killed in wars and stuff and in. Um, Iraq and things so anyway but but I always felt there was like a little bit of dishonesty um well it's not dishonesty but he's I think he said his big thing was he broke his back parachuting and as you uh on active duty and as you as you as you get older you meet you meet a lot of people with broken backs uh, and it's probably it's, it's a you know how badly was it broken you know and yes the doctor said you'd never walk again but they say that to everybody you get like fucking veruca and they say you're never going to walk again so um and also the use of the word active you know on active duty i think he was probably on like a skydiving holiday in africa south africa or something um so it's a it, but it's a, it's a very interesting thing is to learn the um the you know like not lying but you're just, but you are kind of you're just sort of spinning the truth a little bit, and I think that's a very that's a very different thing between like a working class person and uh, you know like an upper upper middle class. You know, I think Bear's probably like semi aristocracy. He's up there was kind of uh, Ronald Fines and things. Is that like a working class person? They would they would go to the moon on a rocket. You know, they would land on the moon and they'd come back again. And someone say, "What what you know? What have you done? You know, what do you used to do?" And he'd be like. Oh, I used to, you know, I used to work on rockets or something. But then, uh, you know, someone like a, a posher person who worked in, you know, like uh, the kitchen for a for a week doing washing up, you know, he would say, "Oh, I was heavily involved in the NASA, the NASA, you know, with NASA or something." And uh, it's a good it's a good technique to learn, really. Instead of just like like this is this is probably my main point about Bear Grylls is instead of like getting pissed off with people like Bear Grylls and feeling like. Oh, how unfair that they they kind of spin these things that they were on active duty in the special forces and that and that kind of stuff. Um, it's to kind of like learn learn from them. It's just like like you don't have to lie, but you can just uh, you know like you just 
just play around with the, you know, oh, that's your interpretation of, uh, you know, of what's going on. So, like, perhaps I, I even do that, like, talk without saying, well, I, the reason I don't tell you where I'm living is because, uh, because it's just not a good idea. But, um, <laughs> but, you know, it creates like a mystique, you know, so mystique is a very, very important thing, really, in life is, you know, you know, so, um, I recently my house burnt down. Well, this year my house burnt down. I've never told it. I don't, I don't really tell it, make a big thing of it because you know, that's my mystique. You know, like, you know, there's some things I don't want to share, but, that, but I'll share everything else. So, so, uh, so anyway, so, yeah, so Bear, Bear became like, like more and more and more famous, like increasingly famous. And, and, and the more I didn't become famous, you know, I had this kind of this thing, this is very common where it's like, why is he famous and why am I not famous? Like I'm doing this really hard shit. Like I'm doing the hardest, you know, hardest big wall in the Alps and I'm, you know, doing all sorts of stuff and soloing the hardest route on, on El Cap and soloing and blah, 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 blah. You know, I'm, I can, I'm, I'm funnier than him. I'm, you know, I'm not as good looking as him, but I'm, you know, I can stand on a stage and I know that when I'm on a stage, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a better speaker than him. Like I'm more interesting than him and all, and all these kind of things. And, uh, it's like, why is he famous? Why am I not famous? And I, you just get, you know, and, uh, and I remember like there's other people, um, there's other like posh people I would, I would like identify them. Like another one is Ben Saunders. Like Ben, you might be listening to this podcast, but Ben was another one. He's like a, so to me, he's like this posh guy. He knows how to wear brogues and he's got like a blazer and he goes to the Royal Geographical Society. He's like, why, why, why can he fucking, why is he getting, talking to Google and Microsoft and you know, what's, what's he, what's he got to, why is he on a TED? Why is he doing a TED talk? Why am I not doing that? And, um, so, but luckily, um, not so much with Bear, but with other people, I, I luckily managed to turn a corner where I was like, look, instead of being like this kind of just like working class, like, oh, no, oh, I could have been someone and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's just, just actually, just actually analyze what they're doing and copy it, like try and just, just work out. Just, just, so when my, my brain is good at, um, taking a complex thing and dismantling it down into its into its component parts and rebuilding it and working out how it works. So I'd look at someone like Ben Saunders and I was like, well, Ben Saunders has got, has got one of these websites and he's got like this, he's on this thing called Twitter. And uh, so, I, so the reason I went on Twitter, so I was like very early adopter of Twitter, like 2008 or something, was like Ben Saunders had Twitter and he had this, you know, he probably had like, he was on Facebook. And so whatever Ben Saunders did, I would do exactly the same. So in fact, the, my very first website I ever did, I basically just, uh, I realized if you went into like, you could see like the, the code of the website. I just copied all the code off all these pages and then I banged them all up. I, I somehow worked out how you, what a server was and how you put the code up there and then it appeared and, you know, how you got images to appear and folders and, and all that kind of stuff. So I actually just completely copied Ben's website right to every bit of it and then just put my own pictures in and put my own words in but it was ex- it was exactly the same as Ben's to the until and this is this is a great credit to someone like Ben Saunders he actually emailed me and said you seem to have somehow copied my website because you've even copied the the tracking code or something you know like you know so you know I know it's you so um so anyway so I deleted that bit and um so, but yeah, so emulating the, the people you despise, like Ben, Ben fucking Saunders. No offense, Ben. So uh, anyway, so, but, and also Ben, I think I remember probably the same kind of time I did a talk in Scotland and I remember I was, I was like climbing on the, on the crag, like winter climbing uh, and it was getting time to go and we were just, anyway, we ended up getting to this venue and I had all my climbing gear on still and I had to run into the toilets and change out of it and do my talk and all that kind of stuff. And then, and then I lost a lot of slides, I left them on top of the car and drove off and I lost them. And anyway, it's a disaster. But my dad was with, with, with me. My dad's very good at giving sort of advice. And he was like, he was like, what, like, what, what do you want to do in your life? I'm like, oh, I want to, I just want to talk. I want to like do t- slideshows and be like, do, do, do like stand on the stage. That's what you're like doing. He was like, well, what do you think you're worth? And I said, oh, I think I'm worth like a thousand pounds to do a slideshow. 
We said, well, if you want to be worth a thousand pounds, you've got to look like you're worth a thousand pounds, which is basically like get your act together. So I kind of copied, like I, I, I'm not really good at copying. I, I basically can never be like Bear Grylls or Ben Saunders or Al Humphreys or all these, other, you know, they're all their unique individual cells, but, but all of them are copying off each other to some extent. Like, why is he doing this? Why is he doing that? So that's, that's the good sign of successful people is you just like steal everything of everybody else. But somebody somewhere is, is like the original, you know, the original thing, but I don't know where that is. So, so anyway, so I, uh, yeah, so, so I really, I really kind of changed. I think in my second or first podcast, I was talking about, uh, anyway, first podcast, I think I was talking about put, like how I got into public speaking. And that's basically what I did. I ended up, I ended up becoming sort of very successful, uh, like as in, I, like I buy, I had to just bypass all the most of the corporate kind of stuff because I just don't look like Ben Ben or Bear Grylls or whatever. I'm just not good at that kind of thing. I look like a bag of shit basically, I look like a lumberjack or something. I'm not going to stand in front of Google and no one's going to listen to me. So I basically made my own arrangements. I ended up like talking on stages in theatres and became like very successful at that kind of thing like a like a stage performer basically so I, so in the end I, I ended up being as famous as I've ever, ever as successful as I'm ever going to be without ever being on television so that's so the, but the but basically like all that to people like bear and to to Ben and things um so so I, I could learn to love um like Ben and people like that the 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 my beef with bear um, it just became a little bit of a, a little bit of an obsession, and I and I would never take, I never miss any opportunity to slag him off, basically. And I had this thing that he was a fake, and you know he wasn't really in the SAS, and you know he was, you know, like Everest was a long time ago, and it's not that hard, and there was a uh, no, and all this kind of stuff, and 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 I guess I, I guess because I always. Like climbing is a weird, it's a weird thing. Like you, you know, you're you're kind of in. There's like a tyranny of, of of telling of being honest, basically, and not. It's very kind of maybe it's like a Yorkshire thing, a very UK thing, really. But you have to be really honest, and you have to be genuine, and you can't ever be. You know, you just can't get away with being up your own ass, basically. So, but you can really in that kind of different world, the corporate world, people people can do it really. So. Um, so yeah, so I just I just used to like I wrote stuff about Bear. I, you know, I'd say horrible things about him. Like on stage, I would make stupid jokes. Like I think if you look on YouTube, there's a video. I think it's called like, is it when hell? No, it's uh, inappropriate climbing. Or one of or one of those videos, and it's like I'm making jokes about being Bear Grylls down a crevasse, and you know, like like Bear Grylls is like. He's really, you know, he's really good at like he's always like hunched, hunched over, and he's always he's always out of breath, like <sighs> right then, you know, <laughs> catch it, kill it, fuck it, or whatever it is, like whatever, whatever he, whatever he says. So, um, so yeah, so I, I remember I started like getting all these people following me who actually worked for Bear Grylls, and I often wonder like are they actually following me on social media just to keep an eye on me, or or you know what what's going on? And I probably I probably did. I probably overstepped the mark in uh, because you you do kind of forget that like Bear Grylls is a not is a real person. You know, you kind of you know he is a a lot, a lot you know when you got thirty million quid in the bank, who gives a fuck what people think? I think you got to take that kind of James Blunt kind of thing. Look, look, whatever you say, I'm the one with the three models, or you know, in Brazil, and you're not. So, so. Uh, but then what's weird is I ended up, the reason I ended up uh, with Vanessa, my my current wife, my future ex-wife, is she uh, she invited Bear Grylls to give a, a slideshow in Ireland, and she also invited me. Now, Bear Grylls, I think his fee was £100,000 plus two first-class tickets, and I think I was €1,000. So I got the I got the gig, and I, and I turned up there and uh, met Vanessa and uh, the rest, the rest is history. So, so, so I, so whatever happens with Bear Grylls, like I, because he's, he's 
I've got overinflated prices, uh, <laughs> pricing structure. I, I, I will always owe him that, like, which is a, an amazing thing. Anyway, so, but what is weird was, I remember when I first met Vanessa, like I was like, I was in a bit of a low, a low point in my life. I was in the, in, the, in the dip of life. And all she talked about was Bear Grylls, how she liked Bear Grylls. And I was like, oh God, this loot, you know. She doesn't know like the Twin Towers fell down, but she knows like everything the Bear Grylls has ever done. And she even had a, a, a signed piece of paper from Bear Grylls on a wall, like in a frame. And it, it said, uh, never stop exploring, which is, you know, that's good, that unique. So, you know, I was like, Christ, I'm like, how, long, how have I ended up with this woman who loves Bear Grylls? And she'd been to the UK and seen Bear Grylls on stage and, you know, had all his books and read it, you know, every, anyway, so super big, the biggest Bear Grylls fan in the world, really. Also, I thought, so... Anyway, so I get with Vanessa, move to Ireland, eventually get married and all that kind of stuff. And uh, and the, the Bear Grylls thing, because Vanessa liked him so much, I kind of decided that it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't fair really. It was, I, I owed him something. I owed him, I owed him enough to, to, to back off because sometimes when, when you like slag someone off and other people join in, you're like, oh, that sounds a bit nasty. The way, when you say it, it sounds a bit nasty. It's a bit like, you know, if someone thinks you're making... So a, a classic example, if someone thinks you're saying something which is racist, but, you, but you're not, but then someone who is racist starts chiming in with you, and you're like, eh, actually, I'm not... You know, I, that wasn't actually racist, that, but you, know, you do sound a bit of a racist person. So, um, so it was a little bit like that sometimes. Like, some people, like, they're... It wasn't, it's, I guess it's never about bear, it's about something else in your life, isn't it? It's like you felt like you're badly done to or, you know, the idea of like privilege is, is basically, you know, socialism is all based on is just like fucking hating people who've got more than you have, really. So, uh, and that and that's, so Bear Grylls, hating Bear Grylls is a kind of a form of sort of socialism, I guess. So, and his dad was a Tory MP, doubly bad. So... Anyway, so living in Ireland, Give Bear Grylls, you know, he's, he's everywhere, doing everything. It's like, how much money is too much, Bear? You know, like, every, he's, there's knives everywhere and sauce, sausages, socks. You know, he's on tour. He's like space, it's, you know, satellites with his name on it. And and I just have to just ignore it. Anyway, the, but then one day Vanessa comes in and she's like, uh, oh, guess what? I've got, like, uh, Bear Grylls is coming to, to Dublin and he's going to be on the Late Late Show and they're going to record it live, and I've got like tickets to go and see him uh, for for both of us. And this is and isn't that amazing? I was like, oh Christ Almighty, I, I, I can't believe it. I'm gonna to have to go and see Bear Grylls. Like, oh, this is terrible. So I just like tweeted, um, I tweeted somewhere like, uh, oh, guess what? You know, I'm gonna finally meet Bear Grylls. Can't believe it. Blah blah blah. Anyway, so the next day Vanessa was at, at work, and uh, she's a she was a teacher. And uh, there's a telephone call, and they go, oh, there's, a, there's a call here from the from RT, uh, the TV company in Ireland, and uh, she she answered the phone. And it's like, um, hi, this is uh, this is the this is the you know producer of uh, of uh, the Late Late Show, and um, we're being made aware by uh, Bear Grylls' team that your husband uh, will be attending this uh, this live uh, interview with Bear Grylls. And uh, and that he may be disruptive, and uh, we just like to tell you that there will be security, there will be security there on the night. So Vanessa's like, oh god, no, no, he's not going to say anything. He's just being a bit, he's just being a bit gobshite, and oh, sorry. Anyway, so she she feels like to- totally like anyway. So she comes home, she's like, oh god, what are you doing? Like, don't tweet anything, don't say anything. You know, basically she says that most of the time anyway. But don't do anything. Like, oh god. So she anyway, so I'm on my best behaviour. So the night comes and we get, we get all our clothes on. All, you know, we're not quite naked, but we put our fancier clothes on for Bear Grylls. Put my brogues on and all that kind of stuff. And um, anyway, so we arrive at the studio. And I don't know if you've ever been to a studio, but there's like, you know, it's, a, it's like a big thing, big building with all these people there, like, you know, get free tickets. And they're all, it's like a big night out for people. So anyway, we're all sitting there. Oh no, we're going in and they're like checking everybody off and they go, oh, Andy and Vanessa, oh, we may have to come and talk to you before you go in there. I was like, oh, Christ almighty. So anyway, so we sit down and, and the, okay, ladies and gentlemen, please make your way through into the studio. And as we're going through, like someone comes up and says, oh, Andy, Vanessa, could you come with me, please? And I thought it was going to be the, one of these things where you, 
you start walking along down all the corridors and this door opens and it's like the fire exit and they just throw you out. So anyway, so we're walking along, walking along and they're going through these doors, across the studio floor, uh, up some stairs, down a corridor. And I suddenly had this like premonition of what was going to happen. And it was just like, oh, please no, please no, please no, no, don't let this, don't let this happen. Anyway, the doors open and there was Bear Grylls and his manager, just the two of them. And it was just, the, the assistant disappeared and there was just the four of us. Now this is, this is something I will never forget. And this is a great lesson in life. What Bear Grylls did, he went, he put out his arms, he said, Vanessa, Vanessa, so nice to meet you. And he came up and he gave her a hug. He was, he was going to give one of these kind of like, like one of these kind of like, you know, like posh person kind of little kiss, kiss things. But she was like all over him. She was like dry humping his leg and everything else. She couldn't believe it, like the, the bear grills. Anyway, so, um, but that is a fucking cool move. Like how could you ever hate someone who would make your wife feel so great and like meeting him a hero like he doesn't know who the fuck she is but you know he, he knows who i am but he doesn't know who she is but he makes her feel like she's special and a few people you know in her life who's made her feel like that so anyway so he's and then the, the, um, i can't remember his name now but his his manager like shakes my hand and he's like really really nice oh nice to meet you anyway then bear like you know bear managed to like peel vanessa off you know he gives her a bit of mace or something uses sas i think it's a black belt in karate and he gets gets rid of her and he turns to me and he's like, oh, Andy, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of yours. And, I'm, and he's like, I'm shaking his hand. And, um, and he's like, oh, I, 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 I heard you've climbed the wolf's tooth, you know. And I was like, what the fuck's he talking about? What's a wolf's tooth? And then he could, I just had, obviously had this blank, blank, blank expression. He was like, Olvatana in Antarctica. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, Olvatana, yeah, yeah. And, um, but I just had this like total kind of shitty grin all over my face, you know, like, and I'd, and I was just like, oh, God, this is, like, terrible. Like, what am I going to... I didn't know what to say. I was just like, ah, ha, 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 ha. And Vanessa was, like, talking, and he was, like, being really charming and nice and everything else. Everybody was laughing. I was like, ha, 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 ha. And I was like, don't be one of those assholes. You know, like, when you, you eventually meet Adolf Hitler, and you're like, oh, Mr. Hitler, I actually quite like you. And, you know, all that stuff people say, I don't agree with them. You know, I was, I was like, don't be one of those people. So I was like, oh, Bear, you do realise that... Um, I once tweeted that, you know, whenever I slag you off on, on social media, I always lose followers. But as a result, the average IQ of my followers goes up. And he was like, ha, 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 yes, we, we read that, yes. So um, anyway, but he was like really, really, he was like really nice. He was like, you know, you, you just could not help but think this, this, is a nice, this is a nice person. Like, it's not his fault that he's so fucking successful, is it? And, uh, and you, you realise that this, his manager, he was, like, totally sharp. He was on it. Like, basically, Bear Grylls has got, like, a really good team of people around him. But anyway, so anyway, so he was nice to Vanessa, and we're talking and talking, and then eventually he's like, oh, oh it's, time to, it's time to go now. So um, nice to meet you. And he, anyway, he goes off, and we go, and we take our seats, and we're, like, sitting there, and um, the, the you know the, the recording starts and the TV presenter gets on and sits down and he's like, and now, ladies and gentlemen, Bear Grylls. Anyway, so Bear Grylls comes in and people went fucking crazy. Like people were throwing scouts at him and badges and knives and ah, oh, Bear, Bear, Bear. And people were like trying to run across the studio to get him to sign like a, you know, a woggle or something. He was like, like, bear, bear, bear. And I was like, oh, Christ almighty. And I realized surrounded by all these like crazy fucking bear crazy people. And I need some like bed to present bear mace or something. Anyway, so anyway, everyone just finally calms down. They spray every down, calm them down. Anyway, so he sits down there and, um, and, and, he, and I'm just like, God, he's like so professional. Like he, he had his nice clothes on he was looking like he was you know he had his stuffs on his shit on his wrist and all that kind of stuff and uh, help for heroes and everything else and he was like kind of he was like a, he's like basically a safe pair of hands and i remember once going to like um sports personality of the year in london and it was the year when bradley wiggins won for after winning like the tour de france and uh like bradley wiggins is a really interesting character but when you saw him on the stage he was fucking terrifying like because he didn't know what no one knew what he was going to say what he was going to do and then you've got like Gary Lineker who's like you know it should have been a it's like a TV goalie basically he's not going to drop the ball he's just this you know he's exactly what he says on the tin where Bradley Wiggins isn't and Bear Grylls is what he says on the tin he's like 
you know, nice Christian, you know, blah, blah person, <laughs> like a survival person. And uh, anyway, so anyway, so all that, every, all that kind of stuff. And then he was like, oh, basically, um, you know, as soon as I finish this, I have to get in a helicopter and have to fly back to London. And then I got one night in London and then I have to uh, fly off to China for, for something. And uh, and I kind of I had I had I kind of realised that um, I would not want to be Bear Grylls. Do you know what I mean? Like like I had this idea that at one point in the audience, at one point everyone's going so crazy. He looked in the audience and he could see me, and he probably thought out of all these people in this audience who fucking would jizzle over me, like you know, like would would you know they would just you know would eat me probably if they could. Um, the only person I probably like to hang out with is the guy who doesn't like me, and uh, but I do like you, Bear. But um, <laughs> but it was uh, you know like basically he's trapped. He's kind of trapped as being Bear Grylls. So he hasn't done any like significant other adventure things that are in the real real world. He's just he's just the brand. It's just a brand Bear Grylls. You can't do anything anymore apart from be Bear Grylls. You can't be Edward anymore. Edward Grylls. He's just Bear Grylls. And you get on this sort of treadmill. Um, like I was going to, I might, maybe next time I talk, I'm going to talk about this idea of like locked in life syndrome, which loads of people seem to have, where you just can't get out of it. You know, like he, he, can't, he has to be Bear Grylls. And I think, I think the, the pressure of, there's like a, the reality of being Bear Grylls is uh, is very different, I think, to the Bear Grylls we see, like the pressure on his wife, marriage, his kids, all that kind of stuff is uh, is bad enough. Is bad enough for most people, but for Bear Grylls, I reckon it's like really, really difficult. So, um, anyway, so so that was it was really amazing. That it was a it, it it kind of I guess I knew, I knew already that you have to look at these people and and know the burden that that. It, you know, like the, all that money isn't worth anything really if you're not free. You know, you're kind of just a slave really to the to this system you've created. All these people you employ, you can't just like sack them all off and say I'm not doing it anymore. You know, you have to keep going, and uh, until you know, until you can't get going and keep, keep going anymore. So, so it made me feel really happy. It made me ha- happy to be who I am, and I wasn't better looking and you know I, I didn't look so good doing press-ups naked in the snow and stuff and uh and it kind of I don't know it made me it made me really respect Bear Grylls now I know some people they'll be really disappointed that I'm, I'm saying these words I respect Bear Grylls I'm not saying respect him as a survivalist I'm not respecting him as a climber I'm not respecting him I, I do respect him as, as a businessman and I respect him and I do actually respect him as a, I respect him as a human being, right? You know, and I even respect him as a Christian. And I used to used to think, what an idiot, what a, what a tosser being a Christian. You know, now I'm living in like a fucking, you know, I always joke I'm, an, I'm Islamophobic, but I'm actually living in an Islamic country. So I actually have, have, have come to, uh, to terms with religion and uh, I'm not such a, I'm not a bigot about religion anymore. So, uh, so even, even the religious stuff there, you know, you've got a pass from me, but mainly, mainly, the he's got some really good skills, and other people, having met Bear Grylls and having spent years studying him and having this and has got rid of all the bits that I could never be like Bear Grylls. You you do see other people on on the TV trying to be Bear Grylls, but no one no one can be Bear Grylls. There is only really one Bear Grylls who can be like Bear Grylls, and that's Bear Grylls. And when you go climbing and the you're in the quarry somewhere or you're outdoors on a hill, all those little kids, um, you know, they don't want to be Nick Bullock or you know, and they don't, you know, they, they want to they want to be Bear Grylls and they will grow out of it eventually. But it, it is a he is a positive force in the world. And yes, we can get upset that he goes caving without a helmet on or does all this kind of shit. And uh, it is all kind of make-believe, and he doesn't know the Latin names of all this stuff. Um, and uh, I, I, I really, I, I, I have this, high, this hope for Mr. Grills, if I was going to be mentoring, mentoring him, is he needs to like, move, move the brand along. Like, I don't know if anybody saw his, the series The Island, which I thought was like really, really good, a really good series. Uh, less Bear Grylls, the better it was, really. But, you know, I'd, I'd like to, like... 
yeah, I think Bear has to move along, move along, like move into, you know, not become edgy, not change from being Bear Grylls, but I think he has to um, eventually, you know, when you go and see The Lord of the Rings, when he first, first saw The Lord of the Rings, it was fucking amazing. It was like, wow, this is the greatest, greatest film ever made. But now you watch, it's like a, it's like a pastiche of itself or something. It's like, oh my God, this is terrible. And uh, so you don't want Bear Grylls to end up like that. You need to, you know, anyway, I don't know how, don't know how you do that, Bear. You know, you're the expert. So, <laughs> so that, so uh, there's a little aside to this story, a little, a little, um, like I, I, I want you to say this story because I don't want to get killed, but I was told a story that the certain uh, special forces kind of unit uh, were never keen on Bear saying he was in the SAS, um, probably because, but well, you know what's interesting is like Bear is the only person who says he was in the SAS or Special Forces, who's like famous in the UK, who hasn't probably killed anybody, well, not intentionally anyway. And because uh, you have got this like, the, you have got this like the rise of, like he's like, be careful what you wish for because you, because uh, Bear Grylls is basically a semi, is like, you know, it's, it's all an illusion. But now we have actually got people who do kill people and know how to kill people and uh, kind of pretty edgy, dangerous kind of characters. And I kind of, uh, I don't really like it that much, I've decided. I don't really want, you know, and if you, and you had the, I don't know, I, f I feel like it's, it, it's, a, it's a sign of something that's missing when you get people like that. Like Bear's not a sign of anything missing, Bear's just like entertainment. He's like Blue Peter, basically. When now you've got something which is more... Um, you know, you've got, it's, it's more like Black Mirror, I think. So that's that's a, something for another time. Anyway, but, um, so this SES unit, uh, they, uh, no, yeah, well, anyway, so the SES didn't like that Bear was saying he was in the SES. So one night, apparently, this may not be a true story, um, they got over to his island where he was living and they managed to break into his house or get into his house. Probably, probably wasn't locked anyway because it's an island. And, uh, and left a note on the table, on his kitchen table, saying, if, you're in, if you uh, tell anyone you're in the SAS again, we're going to come back. Now, I'm sure this was a joke, a little SAS kind of joke. And uh, anyway, ever since then, I've never heard him say he was in the SAS. I've always heard him say he was in the, um, he was in the Special Forces, which he was in the Special Forces, but not in, technically in the SAS. And so I told this story in the Brecon Beacons at, uh, in... Um, which is where the SAS are based. And uh, anyway, so I'd, I finished the story and then I was at, at the end, I was like signing books and things. And this huge, huge guy comes up to me and he's like, I'd just like to tell you there were many members of the regiment in the audience this, this evening. And that is a true story. So, so anyway, so we've got this story. And then uh, about a year later, I started getting contacted by the Daily Mail or, you know, the Sunday Times, one of these, one of these journalists and they'd heard, they'd heard this story I told on the, on the grapevine. And they basically were looking for shit about Bear Grylls. And, uh, and because I was a, because I'd shit talked Bear Grylls so much, they obviously thought I was an, an ally and I would like spill the beans and tell them something that would, you know, bring him down because he's like, you know, if anyone needs bringing down, it's someone like Bear Grylls we need to find out about affairs with midgets and all this, and all this kind of stuff. And, um, but, I'd, but I never replied because no matter how much I was, you know, you know I wasn't keen on Bear, Bear, Gil, Bear Grylls in the past. I actually, as I say, I respect him as a person and that's not what you sort of do to people. So, yeah, avoid the journalists. So um, I've, I had some chips cooking in the oven and I think they might all be burnt now. Anyway, I don't want to burden you with all my problems. That's how the house burnt down. Actually, the house burnt down because someone was praying to God, uh, not nothing, nothing to do with me, and certified uh, to the house, and the house bent down. So yeah, that's that's the that's the downside of religion. So anyway, so thanks for listening to the podcast. Um, uh, don't forget that on a Tuesday I actually have a less rambly, just uh, talking about climbing related, <sighs> climbing related stuff. Um, basically, I see myself as a 
uh, to be happy in life, you have to serve somebody else. And I, f- I feel I'm serving climbing climbers. So that's my that's my penance every Tuesday. I have to sort of do uh, questions and answers and a uh, little thing about techniques. Um, and that's called higher education. So if you look on the list of things, that, uh, the first one was last week about prostate loops and things. Really, really exciting if you're into that kind of stuff. Um, so if you want to contact me, I've had like quite a lot of emails. Uh, I talked a bit about, because I talked a bit about like mental health for some reason. Like people love talking about mental health, don't they? Christ almighty. Don't, don't talk about mental health. You just get all these like crazy people getting in contact with you. But if you are crazy, then um, don't get in contact with me. So, um, but if you want to get in contact, uh, uh, there's links on my website, Andy Kepatrick, Andy hyphen Kepatrick. Everything's a bit pretentious having the word hyphen, but anyway, Andy slash, not slash, Anyway, just a slash, not a forward slash, not a backslash, forward like a Anyway, a line in the middle, uh, .com or social media, Twitter, all that kind of stuff. Um, if you like this podcast and you want to hear more, like I'm getting in more into it. You know, Joe Rogan was shit when he started. And uh, so, uh, you know, so I am getting, I'm not saying M as much, uh, but I don't want your cash. Yeah, I know you want to, you want to give me loads of money. Um, but if you like it, then the best thing you can do is just uh, get on social media, tell people, listen to this story about Bear Grylls. It's fucking terrible. Anyway, so just tell people, if you like it, just share it. It doesn't cost you any money to share something. You know, like I may be like, a, for some reason, I may be a, um, a polarizing person. I don't know why. I think the people who I think the people who think I'm polarizing just get fucked, basically. So... Uh, <laughs> Um, anyway, so if you like it, share it. If you don't like it, then don't worry because you didn't get this far. So um, anyway, so uh, until next time, Andy Patrick signing off. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.